Galatians. I, I just have to say, when, when we started planning for this fall, I had no idea what God would do in my heart during this series. And I hope you feel that too as you've been reading through Galatians, just the reminder of God's grace. Have you been reminded of his grace and his goodness in your life? As we've, as we've followed and tracked with Paul, and just to give you some kind of background, catch some of you up, uh, in, in the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament to this young church who was trying to find their way, um, they, they had preached God's grace to people, Paul had, and people would come to know God's love through Jesus in this way. But then some outsiders, uh, they called them Judaizers, had come in and said, no, no, Jesus is great, but you've got to add to that. There's some things you need to add to it. Um, you know, there's some food laws that you need to follow. Uh, men, you need to be circumcised, and that shows that you're a part of the kingdom. And, and Paul writes this letter almost as a reaction uh, to, to help build a foundation to say, it is grace alone. Jesus plus nothing is everything, Right? You remember we've said that for the last couple of weeks, Jesus plus nothing. You can't add to the, to the message of Jesus. If you, if you add, if you try to add to it, it's basically like you're saying, God, I don't need Jesus because all these other things are good enough. Does that make sense? And so Jesus plus nothing. And last week we talked about once you get to chapter three and four, Paul opens the door, which is very difficult in, in the first century to a multicultural expression of God's kingdom. So many people believe that God's kingdom was just for a select group of people. Aren't you so glad that doesn't happen in our world today? But, but Paul swings the door open wide to remind people that everyone is invited to the table of God based solely upon his grace, based solely upon what Jesus did, not what any of us did. So listen, I, I just hope we, we understand this and we're able to stand in God's love in this, is that you did nothing, you did nothing to earn right standing with God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he loves you right now. It's only by the grace of God that any of us can be connected to our Heavenly Father. And that is good news for all of us, everyone here and everyone not here. There is good news for us. Someone say amen. amen. I mean, it's good news, and it should cause us to have some joy and to actually smile when we think about the goodness of God, especially during the season of Thanksgiving. Now, this message, and, and it happened in the first century, and it still happens today. This message of grace messes with a lot of people, and it freaks a lot of people out. And here's the big question. Well, does that mean I can just do whatever the heck I want to do? Because that sounds awesome. It's all based on God's grace. It's all his goodness, which means I can just, you know, I can do whatever I want. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. In fact, the more I do whatever I want, the more grace enters into our world because God is so good. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Like, I can do whatever I want, and God's grace is even bigger, and oh, that's awesome. So Paul addresses that because he knows that's the natural outflow of this, this message of grace is that some people might be tempted to say, well, then 
No, no holds barred. Like, everything's open now. You can just do whatever you want. In, in, one, in one place in the New Testament, Paul actually writes that everything, just so that we know, everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And, and there's, there's a little bit of a line there that should cause us to, to open our, our minds and our hearts a little bit to, to, to dig into what does that mean? That everything is permissible, but maybe not everything's beneficial for us. Um, so that's where we're going to go today. Are, are you ready? And we're going to dig in a little bit. We're going to look at, at, uh, at chapter 5 specifically this week. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, open up to... to uh, to Galatians chapter 5, and it's going to take me a couple of minutes to get to the main point, but you're going to stay with me, right? Okay. All right, I got half of you. <laughs> uh, grace frees us from the requirements of the law. So don't miss this. If you, if you kind of zone out and miss everything else, grace frees us from the requirements of the law. Paul wants us to understand that, that no longer are we bound to the requirements the law has put there in, in the Old Testament. Most of us aren't even a part of the Old Covenant anyways, because most of us aren't Jewish. But he, he wants us to know, like, we don't have to follow laws to have standing with God. Not even part of the discussion anymore. But grace isn't a license to do whatever we feel like doing. And that's where most of us go. That's where many people go with this message, is that we can just do uh, whatever we want. Now, in, in the U.S., I'm going to step on some toes in the U.S., we've had this freedom experiment, and there's so much good to, to the freedom that we've experienced in the United States. I love the freedom that we have, and unlike probably anything in history that's, that's, that's been experienced by a large group of people like what we have, this freedom experience also has created some questions of, what does my freedom have to do with your freedom? And many times, it leads us to this path of where we want to say, no, no, I live in a free country, so you don't tell me what to do. Has anybody ever said that out loud? Oh, don't raise your hand. <laughs> like, don't tell me what to do. Are you with me? Freedom is an open door to do whatever we want to do. And you cannot tell me what I can and cannot do. Some of us have walked to that path. And I think our current cultural uh, experience is the chaos that comes when, when we believe that we can't be told what to do. Like that we, I am, my kids used to say it this way, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and like my dad before me, I said, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> Hopefully I never said that, but my dad said it all the time. <laughs> so the tension and chaos comes from this idea that we can just do whatever we want and it doesn't matter. And I'm free, so you don't tell me what to do. Now, we all know this isn't, isn't true. We all know that freedom doesn't mean we can do whatever we want, right? It, like, we all know this. If, if, if it meant that we can do whatever we want, we would need no lines on uh, roadways. We would need no traffic signals. We would, it would mean that we can just drive. You don't tell me what to do. I can drive however I want to drive. And if my car is bigger than your car, I win. And if more people are going this direction than coming, then, then we all know, like logically, when we think about it, we know that freedom doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want. There's got to be some boundaries or else chaos ensues and chaos reigns. Are you with me? So same thing is true when it comes to faith. There's got to be some, some sort of boundaries. There's got to be some ideas that keep us 
in, in, a, in a healthy place. And so this is what Paul writes. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God or make other people right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. Now that seems harsh, doesn't it? Well, what do you mean I've been cut off from Christ? And Paul is just suggesting that if we, and it's human tendency to say it's my strength, that my, my behavior that keeps me good with God, that if we lean into that way of thinking, we actually have cut ourselves off from Christ. And he, he makes this statement, um, which is a, is a dangerous statement, uh, you have fallen from God's grace. Now, this statement right here caused me to go to the altar every time I went to summer camp when I was a kid. And here's why. is because I felt like every summer I had done something in the year previous that had cut me off from God's grace, and I wanted to make sure that it took every time I had the opportunity. Some, sometimes, even multiple times in a year, if the altars were opened at church. Now, I grew up in the church. Some of you will know what this means. Others who didn't grow up in church, you don't know what this means. But we had these altars in front of a church uh, at the front. And at the end of almost every service, we would sing a song called Just As I Am. And we would sing it about 13 times until somebody came down and knelt. And then we were good. Everybody felt good about themselves. I often went down because I felt like I don't want to fall away from God's grace. What Paul is not talking about here, he's not talking about sin that all of us have in our lives, that sin causes us to fall away from God's grace. That's not what he's saying. Are you with me? He's saying that if we believe our behavior keeps us connected to God, then we have set Christ aside, and that's where we fall away from his grace. We lean away from his grace. Still with me? Okay, I just want to make sure that we, we get that because it's so very important. He's not saying that you should you should be in doubt of your salvation every time you, you kind of do something you shouldn't do. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't want to put us in this situation where we're like, oh, I don't know if I'm in or I'm out. I'm... Grace puts us in. He even says in a couple places that like when you have faith, when you've chosen to believe, you've been marked like a seal by the Holy Spirit. Like there's something marked on you. You have been tattooed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I mean, does that mean I can get a tattoo? <laughs> anyway, but, <laughs> but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith, this word's really important, by faith, we eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God promised us. Now, this we eagerly wait means that righteousness, and in the church we use this real big word, this is going to scare some of you, sanctification. Anybody hear that word before? Like, I've been sanctified. I have no idea why I'm talking like that. But, but what, what Paul is saying is that, that this, this process of being made righteous is a process. It's not overnight. We eagerly wait with faith. We have faith for what God promised us. For when we place our faith in Jesus, there is no benefit to circumcision. Now, he's speaking directly to the circumstance that is going on in Galatia. 
He's talking specifically to this church. And he's saying, like, these people are telling you you have to be circumcised to be marked as someone who's in the family. He's saying there is no benefit because faith is what puts you there. Faith. Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. Are you still with me? And then what is important here is faith, and here's where the behavior comes in. Faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. So now here is where Paul begins to turn the corner. And for us, those who have, who have claimed Jesus, those who have said, my faith is in Jesus. It's not in my, I, I know that I'm not good enough to earn my way to God. I know that I couldn't do anything to get there. I've placed my faith in Jesus. Here's where Paul turns the corner and then begins this discussion of, well, does that mean I can do whatever I want? And uh, this, this idea of placing your faith in Jesus is so incredibly important. And before we move on, um, I just want to say that if, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have said, I trust him, I trust what God says is true, if you've said that, you have received the Holy Spirit. What, what Paul refers to as the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might say, I don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit. I still do a lot of things I don't want to do. Anybody do things that you don't want to do? Yes, that does not mean you don't have the Holy Spirit within you. I think Paul's understanding and his teaching throughout the New Testament is this, that when you place your faith in Jesus, when you believe what God says is true, that at that moment, you have all of the Holy Spirit. You have all of him. The challenge is the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of you yet, and he doesn't have all of me yet. And that's where the behavior and where Paul goes with this whole discussion is. Um, it's not this idea of you're kind of in and you're out and you're not really sure where, where you belong. And like when you make a decision to place your faith in Jesus, you have 100% of the Holy Spirit. Now, real quick, by what power was Jesus raised from the dead? The power of who? The Holy Spirit. God's Spirit. We have that same power within us. Unbelievable. Some of you are like, I don't have that same Spirit in me. You do. Like the Spirit just doesn't have all of you yet. And that's where Paul wants to go. That's what he's, he's trying to develop here. Um, so he says this, but the Holy Spirit, later in this, uh, in this chapter, he says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. So we all have the Holy Spirit if you've placed your faith in, in Christ. So this is what the Holy Spirit does in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. Close the book, we're done. Easy, Right? The Holy Spirit's in you, and the Holy Spirit produces this, and so this is how we all live each and every day. Love, joy, peace. How many of you this week say that sums up your life? That was it. Love, joy, peace, patience. Anyone feel like you got it? Good. You're wrapped up? All right. So Paul says, close the book. We're done. Just let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Speaking words of wisdom, Paul says, let it be. Oh. I love when a plan comes together. Anyway, um, 
No, no, no. Paul knows it's not that easy. Like, it's not like we have the Holy Spirit and he's producing these things in us and it's just natural now and so we're loving and we're full of peace and joy and goodness and happiness and it's all good, man. Like, it's that, like Paul knows that's not how it works. And so Paul, like, walks through this and he, and he, and he says, so if you back up from that Holy Spirit passage, the, the fruit of the Spirit, for you have been called to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy what he calls your sinful nature. Now, this word, this, this little phrase, sinful nature, I, I, I highlighted it and underlined it just so that, that we could see what Paul is doing here when he builds this tension. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in, there's that word again, what is it? Love, yeah. Instead, so don't just satisfy your, what he calls your sinful nature. Some of your Bibles might use the word flesh there. Um, I think sinful nature is a, a better translation. Flesh uh, implies that like our physical flesh is bad, and that's not what Paul's saying. He, he's saying that there's a nature that we're drawn to that, that, is, that leads to evil. And so instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Do you see the tension he's setting up? So it's a tension between the Holy Spirit and the sinful nature or the flesh, right? The tension is sinful nature, spirit, flesh, and spirit in tension with one another. Now, Paul is not writing to the, the spiritual people who have the Spirit and then the other people who are sinful. He is writing to, to followers of Jesus. So he is saying that this exists in every one of us. Like you have one foot in the, the, the world of the Spirit, but you also have one foot firmly in sinful nature. Are you with me? And there's a tension there. Within each one of us, there's this tension within us. And then he says this, these two forces are, what's that next word? Constantly fighting one another. Can I get an amen from the congregation today? Anybody else feel this constant tension? Like this, this constant battle within you? Have you ever been speaking to someone and like suddenly, I mean, I know what I should say to that person right now. And you, and you quickly have something arise within you that, you that you are thinking to yourself, oh, just wait till I say this. Anybody ever have that in you? And then there's something in you saying, you probably shouldn't say that out loud. Like, you should reserve that for your mind right now, but don't say that. Like, say something a little bit more kind. Anybody ever have that inside of you? Yes. That, <laughs> some of you are like, double time. Uh, that is constantly fighting within us. And Paul's not saying, you know, you have God's grace if you do the right thing, or you have God's grace if you do the spiritual thing. No, no, he's saying you have God's grace in you, period, end of the deal, right? 
and the Spirit is in you, and He's trying to bring about life, and there's also this other thing within you, and it's trying to bring about death, and so these things are fighting. So I did some drawings, and um, uh, I, I want to I try to represent this in some, some drawings. Um, so you have the Spirit and the flesh, both, both of us, like we're, they're within us, and, and they're fighting within us, and Paul, in his writings again and again, he says what the Spirit wants to do is he wants, you to, lead, he wants to lead you in the, in the path that brings life, and the, the other nature within you like, wants, to, wants to take you down a path, and, and, and the end of that path is death. Whether or not you know it, that, that path just leads to death. And there's this constant battle within us. Constant battle within us. And you have God's grace, period. Like this isn't dependent upon God's grace. What you choose is not dependent. This is your mission if you should choose to accept it. It's not dependent upon God's grace. Like you have God's grace. Does everybody get that? Have I said it enough? Are you with me? You have God's grace. He's good. You still have this battle within you. And this is the human condition that we find ourselves in. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking about a time when it was, when, when it just made, like, so much sense to me. And uh, as I often do, I have memories of, like, high school football. And some of you get tired of me talking about sports and all that. Like, I'm better in my mind than I actually was on the field, and so I like to think about it and think about what could have been. And senior year, we were playing Hoover. Hoover is uh, a really good high school program in Birmingham, Alabama. A few years ago, they were on ESPN and MTV on a show called Two A Days. They were one of our rivals. My junior year, we had beaten Hoover. They were ranked number two in the state. They were ranked nationally. We beat them on our home field. And uh, I thought that was awesome. And so really looking forward to our senior year to play Hoover High School. And we were playing at the Hoover Met, which is where the Birmingham Barons play. It was a big deal. Uh, you know, five, 10,000 people there. It was a big deal. Scouts were there. Coaches came, sat me down. There's going to be some scouts here. It's a big opportunity for you to, like, if you want to play at the next level, have a good game. No pressure. <laughs> and so first half... Uh, I hadn't played defense much, but my coach put me in because he thought I uh, had a better opportunity to play defense in college than I did offense. Terrible idea. I tripped and fell on a final play of the half. They caught a long touchdown. I was playing safety. Some of you are like, what does that even mean? It means that I fell down on my face in the middle of the field and someone scored a touchdown. It was my fault. <laughs> and the scouts saw it. So I wasn't happy. We were down 14 to nothing at half. I thought, oh, here goes my chance to play at the next level. Super bummed, right? Second half starts. Our star running back dislocates his elbow. If you've never seen that, it's nasty, gross. He was out of the game. So we have a sophomore running back who comes in. He doesn't know the, play very, doesn't know the plays very well. Uh, we're coming down. We've got to score to stay in the game. And it's a pass play. He ran the wrong route. And as the quarterback, I felt like someone needed to let him know. And it should probably be me. In the middle of the field, as loud as I could, using language that I probably shouldn't use. And I chewed him out. And I knew that I shouldn't. I had this thing going on with, within me. Like, Matt, this really isn't even about him. It's about you. You know, you feel like you've, you've kind of 
let everybody down. You let yourself down. The scouts saw a terrible game, that, you know, and, and so this is what's going on within me. So I know it's really not his fault, but I felt like I deserved to let him know. And so I chewed him out up and down on that field. He was a sophomore. He shouldn't have even been on the field, ran the wrong route, all this. Like he was the reason I wasn't going to go to college now. Anybody, I mean, I know you haven't been in that circumstance, but you know you're not chewing somebody out because of them. You're chewing them out because of something that's going on with you. That, like, that's the tension that's within us. And sometimes it comes out as this ugly, spewing mess that spills out as hatred on someone else. It's the tension within us. And Paul says it is always there fighting. And so he says... Um, Oh, you want to know what happened? My coach let me have it. <laughs> he reminded me of, like, where I was and that I should never do that again, and I might not ever play for him again and all kinds of stuff, and so I apologize. But that outburst on that field was only leading to death, death of relationship, death of respect, all kinds of death, Right? Now, there are places where I should probably have a conversation with him, but not there, not like that. That was my sinful nature. And some of you are like, Matt, that's ridiculous. Just expand that into all of life because that's what we fight every single day, that, that tension within us. So Paul continues and he says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you just do whatever you want to do, the results are clear. And he divides what he's about to, to write, he divides it into four categories for us. The first category is this, um, sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. Paul says, when you just, when you just go with the flow, when you just like lean into your, your, your own sinful desires, like what, what comes from that is just like sexual chaos in your life. And eventually, that's going to lead to death. It may feel good for a while. You may think it's great, you know, all of that. You may feel like it's meeting a need deep within you. But eventually, like living that way will lead to, to death. And I think many in this room probably could say, I've experienced that before. Like what I thought would bring me pleasure eventually led to a broken relationship. You know, that, that these lustful pleasures that I thought would just like satisfy something deep within me. Now, in, in the first century, part of the cultural disconnect for us at some level is at the, in the first century, in, in like a marriage relationship, the man uh, in that relationship was often given like a free ticket to do whatever they felt like doing because it was just part of their nature. So just you want to sleep around? You feel like it? Sleep around. It's no big deal. And so Paul is like coming after that. He's, he's getting after that, saying that leads to death of relationships. Like every time you, I, here, here's the deal. I, I'll say this. This is a whole nother series we should probably have one of these days. But uh, many times people in, 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 in the larger culture think that the church has a low view of sex, like sexual intimacy. I actually think it's the opposite, that God gives us a high view of sexual intimacy. And oftentimes in our culture, we just see it as some physical expression, like that, that sexual expression is just physical. Intimacy is just physical, and it's nothing more than that. And what God says is that sexual uh, intimacy 
is actually the mingling of souls. Your very soul is being mingled with another. And so you just can't go off and do whatever you want because you're, you're mingling your soul in many different ways and, and you give yourself in ways that you can't get back. Are you with me? Okay, so that's a, that's a whole other... Um, that's like a mini-sermon. I, I could keep going, but I won't. And, and then so the second, idolatry and sorcery, something in their culture that they really uh, struggled with led to this, like they worshiped many different gods, many different things. And then can you see which list is the longest here? Which list is the longest? Number three, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. Anybody struggle with any of these? What Paul is saying is that relationships are so important, yet when we just do whatever the heck we want to do, this is where it leads. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. It's what was going on in Galatians, and I think it's what goes on in many churches even today. This isn't just a first century problem. This is our problem it's like we, we, we say whatever we want to say or whatever we feel like we should say or we post whatever we feel like we should, and it creates like tension and division. It's not based on love. And then he says, drunkenness and wild parties or orgies, some of your, your Bibles will say, and what this has to do with, this fourth category, um, in this culture there was actually ritual worship to gods that was all about just drinking and, and sleeping with temple prostitutes and that kind of thing. And that's what he's talking about here. Like this is when you just do whatever you want, it leads to this. But the Holy Spirit, so this is where the Holy Spirit part comes in. Are you still with me? Okay. But the Holy Spirit, when, when, you, when, when this tension's within you, and it's in all of us, don't feel like you're alone when, when you're when you're feeling that tension constantly fighting within you. Actually, it's good news that you feel the tension. Did you know that? Let me just say that. It's good news that you feel the tension within you. Why is that good news? Because it means the Spirit's there. And that's awesome, right? So he says, but the Holy Spirit, when we lean into the Holy Spirit, this is what the the Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's just like a natural byproduct when we choose to lean into that side of the tension within us, right? So let's talk about fruit just for a second, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. How does fruit grow? I think he's given us a metaphor here. It's important to play into it just for a second. How does fruit grow? Go ahead. Light. Okay, so fruit needs sunlight, right? How much uh, impact do, do you and I have on the bright, burning sun in the sky? How much influence do we have over that? About zero, correct? Yeah, so it needs light. Fruit needs light to grow. It needs water. How much, uh, how much impact do we have on clouds in the sky dropping droplets of water onto the ground? How much impact do we have on that? pretty small, right? We might have a little bit, but we, we don't have very much. Uh, we don't have ability. Now, we have hoses, and some of you, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, but Matt, I can water. Okay, we'll get there in just a second. 
the content of the soil over time. We can continue to mix it and do the things that we need to do, but, but really the content of the soil, like, that, like that's some natural, there's some natural things there happening that we can't influence. Are you with me? Yeah, so how does fruit grow? Some of it's just natural. I have a couple of fruit trees in my backyard. These are, these are two. Um, this one is, I think it's called a loquat here on the left. Um, I just found out that word the other day. I had no idea what this was producing. Uh, my father-in-law loves to eat them. That's all I know. This one over here is more like a lemon-lime kind of thing going on. And what I do know is when I moved into my house and I didn't water, they didn't produce any fruit. Genius, I know. Some of you are like, Matt, seriously? Yes, they didn't produce no, no fruit. When I started watering them, fruit started appearing. It's magic. <laughs> and then when I, when I actually like fertilize, even more fruit appears, right? Now, if I just left those trees, I never trimmed them, never watered them, never fertilized them, would they produce fruit, yes or no? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, they might, there might be some fruit here and there. Every now and then, one thing might pop up. Would they produce a lot of fruit and healthy fruit? No, because it needs water. It, it needs fertilizer. Uh, it needs to be trimmed in certain ways so that the fruit can grow. Do you see where Paul's going here? Who produces fruit in your life? It's God's grace. God produces that. But do you have to do something? Some of you are like, is this a trick question, Matt? <laughs> yes. You have to participate. You have to, you have to engage with that which is already within you, the spirit that's already in, within you. You have to do something to participate with him for that fruit to become a reality in your life. I can't just do whatever I feel like doing. Well, Paul's saying, well, you can you have the freedom to do whatever you feel like doing, but sometimes that'll just lead to death. Is that really what you want in your life? When you, when, you, when you lean into the Spirit, when you participate with that side of what's within you, then fruit begins to appear. How many of you would, would, would choose to be a more loving person today if you could? How many of you would say, I want to be a more loving person? How many of you would say, I need some patience? Like, I would love to be a more patient person. I'm talking about that one because I struggle with it. Like, I want more patience in my life, and it's not good enough for me just to say, Matt, be more patient. No, I think God is doing some things within me, and I have to participate with those things. For example, I live off of Shea. And I can't do anything to speed up the traffic on Shea. Some of you who, who drive three cars across, I can't do anything to influence you. I've tried. I've honked. I've yelled. I took the McDowell sticker off my car so no one would know. Don't worry. <laughs> I didn't. It's still there. You know what's funny? Someone drove up to me this last week and started yelling at me. And at first, like, I was like, like why, are you, why are you yelling at me? And then it was somebody from our church. And they were, then they started laughing. <laughs> they started laughing at me. So... So we find ourselves in situations, and we're saying, I want to be a more patient person. I want to be a more loving person. I mean, fill in the blank. I want to be a more peaceful person. And, and what, what Paul is saying is God is doing that within you. Like God's doing something within you to bring about those things. But you have to choose to participate with the work that he wants to bring about. Are you with me? So can you do just whatever 
you want to do? Well, you can, but it might not lead to a place of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And then he says, since we are living by the Spirit, since the Spirit is within us, like, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And it's this, this whole metaphor. Let us, let us follow the Spirit. Since the Spirit is, is within us, trying to bring about some good things in us, let's just follow that. Let's go with it. Let's nurture it. Let's fertilize it. Let's water it. Let's let it do its thing. Let's lean into it. And that's how transformation happens. Are you with me? Isn't that a beautiful picture that Paul gives us? And it speaks to the reality of our lives. Every single person in this room, there's no one exempt from the tension that's within you. These conflicting uh, spirit, like the spirit versus the nature within you, like that is in every single one of us. None of us are exempt from that. It's in there. And you want a certain thing in your life. God's saying, I'm doing that work within you, but you've got to participate with me. You've got to stay in step with the spirit that's in there. You don't have to do that to stay connected to me, to be made right with me. Grace has done that. Like, set that aside. This isn't about earning God's favor or his blessings in life. None of that. Like, that's not this. This is about producing the fruit and living as humans, like humans. Um, so the, the, the summary verse of this entire book, and I, I just want to put it up here and we'll we're done uh, with this, and we're going to sing a couple songs, but I just want to end with this. Um, for I have been, Paul writes this, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the one who loves me and gave himself for me. So what, what Paul is saying is, is my sinful nature, like I, I'm going to trust that when Christ was crucified, that was also crucified on the cross. Now, I know, like, I still live in the in-between. I know that there's this war within me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it as if it were crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who's come to live within me. And the life that I live right now out here, I live through faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Does that make sense? Do you, like this is a confusing verse if you just read it, but when you begin to understand what Paul's writing here, like what he's claiming, and then he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Like I don't treat it as meaningless. Like it means something. And um, God's grace is good news for you and for me. Amen? Amen? Aren't you so thankful? You don't have to earn your place with God. You don't have to earn your place at the table. You don't have to do anything to achieve that. It is taken care of. So good. His grace is just so good. It's that good that he's taken you and just put you at the table. Like it's settled. That's awesome. And some of us then struggle with, well, then how do I live? And Paul says, you live by paying attention to what's going on within you, in your heart and your mind. And he says, these things are battling, and, and you'll battle with these your whole life because you've got one foot in both places. Now, you can choose to go either way. This path eventually leads to death. Be very careful. If you participate with the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this leads to life, the kind of life we all want, right? 